artificial intelligence, a pathway to utopia where computers do all the heavy lifting, or a Terminator hellscape where Skynet wipes out humanity from the earth. Oh, the hubris. Today, we welcome back Ryan Barton, CEO of Mainstay Technologies, for a conversation about the facts and myths behind AI. I'm Matt Mowry, Executive Editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, Chief Growth Officer of Granite Media Group and founder of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Ah, uh, so this is exciting. Um, I, I, I like having people back to the podcast. Um, And our listeners may recall in June of 2022, the episode when Ryan Barton, CEO of Mainstay Technologies, first joined us. Ryan brought a lot with him that day. Um, But what stood out most was his passion for continuous learning in tech. And so Ryan is here again. And Ryan, welcome back. And thanks for sitting down with us uh, now for a conversation about AI. Everyone's heard the two letters put next to each other recently, but we're going to find out today uh, from you and, and have some conversation around what is it, where it's at, and and where you and the industry understand the technology to be going. So we are psyched to have you, um, and we'll also, for our listeners, we'll link to a couple of resources that Ryan has put out there on YouTube and otherwise, uh, further explaining all of this. We're going to hopefully pack in as much as we can and, and hear from Ryan, but there's a lot that uh, that he's put together, and, and uh, clearly, again, the passion is exuding. Uh, around this topic, and and you're kind of at the at the forefront of it. So thanks for being back. Welcome back. Well, thank you. The only true compliment is actually a return invite. So yeah, now I believe go. the nice things you said last time. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Well, let's you know what. Let's get right into it. I know uh, you speak so eloquently around this, but I'm going to just simply ask you, what is AI? I love that question, and I think it's a surprisingly challenging question to answer, especially because. Just playing with the latest tools and just reading the headlines gives one a very foggy sense of Mm, what this is. And part of what's challenging about it is that this is novel. This is something new in the world. In the history of mankind, this is something novel and new. And so it means we don't have a category for it. We don't have an existing category. It's not like, oh, this is a newer smartphone that is faster and better, and I understand Mm. what it is. Mm -hmm. This is something other. And so when something is other, it's outside our frame of typical understanding, that's where we can get really off in our predictions. And if there's anything that's important about AI right now, it's that business professionals and leaders have some ability to predict the future as it applies to their careers and to their businesses. And we can only do that if we're properly framing, understanding AI, what it is and where it's going. So let's start with the basics of defining what AI is in general, because I think people are very aware of the tools of AI and kind of associate that if they're what what they're familiar with with tools must be what AI is. So o- overall, I mean, I-, I think people, if you're of Gen X, <laughs> you know, we grew up on the Terminator movies, and you know, our introduction to AI it was as the the main villain, right, in the Terminator movies and in the end of humanity. And certainly, there's a lot of predictions of where or a lot of concern out there by experts as to, you know, if we aren't careful with how AI develops um, and and where it goes that, you know, the, there are concerns about what it can mean for humanity in general. On the other hand, there's others that are talking about the great opportunities that exist out there. So in general, 
what is AI? You know, when we talk about artificial intelligence, what are we talking about? And what is the current capability of AI? Excellent question. Well articulated. Let's start with what AI is in general. And then we have to place all our definitions on the t- on a timeline because what it is and where what we're talking about and what it could be versus what it is today are very different things. And so when we're talking about artificial intelligence, it's a, an intelligence that runs on a technology substack. So you and I, we sit here, we are a bunch of carbon atoms, right? We are hydrogen <laughs> and oxygen and yeah. we are a big old pile of molecules, but that's not what we see when we look at each other. Those molecules come together into body parts, and there's a different level of complexity that emerges as they come together into organs and body parts. But again, if you see a pile of body parts, something has gone very wrong. (laughs) And and then those come together into a body, which can't be reduced in its complexity. These are different, what I'm doing with my hands is sort of stacking one on top of another, Mm. different layers of complexity. And in this body, animated by life, intelligence comes up. The ability to solve problems, to think logically, to create, to, to communicate, all of these different markers of intelligence. Well, if you think about a technology stack, it runs on silicon, gold, copper at the very bottom level, comes together into components. And again, I'm moving my hands in this levels of complexity. And then it comes together like in the tablet that's sitting next to you mm-hmm. there. That's a system, that's a technology. And we have all these tools. And these tools are um, really important because they extend our will in the world. They help us to communicate. They help us to do what we want to do. They help us to do things faster. They help us to organize our thoughts. That's really important. And those technology tools are important. And in one sense, we can think of AI like the latest tool that happens to generate content for us. When we think of ChatGPT and these kinds of tools, they are tools. But that's not what artificial intelligence is. Artificial intelligence is the emergence of another level of complexity that running on the technology and intelligence emerges. The ability to solve problems, to create unique content, to come up with novel solutions, to actually do something that looks a lot like thinking. That's at a different level of complexity, a different order in reality than any technology we've experienced before. And so when we frame this just as a tool, well, then we're really not thinking properly about what this can be because a tool does what we want it to do. It extends what we do. But an intelligence is something completely other. It's something completely foreign. Now, over enough time, the projection is that there's, uh, there's quite a few projections that scientists believe that this intelligence can become more and more intelligent in many different domains. If you think of the AIs that we have today as kind of like baby AIs, they are operating (laughs) in a different order, but they're not fully able to interact with the world in deep ways. They don't have a sense of logic. They don't have many of the different facets of intelligence that we think of intelligence. But they are at a different order. They're not just a tool or a technology. They can be given some degree of agency. They can be given a goal. And even the AI models that are out today can go out and actually solve problems uniquely along the way towards that goal. So they have a power and a uniqueness that's not just technology and it's not just tool, but they're not yet these entities, these foreign species or these beings. I mean, what's forecasted is that someday AI could become self-aware and conscious, or it could at least have the agency to interact in the world in a really significant way. And that will be like aliens showing up on the lawn of the White House. Like you have a very different, (laughs) completely foreign species with capabilities that far outstrip ours in certain domains that have grown up in a very different reality than you and I have grown up in. What will that do to society? And so I think it's very important just to reiterate that we recognize that AI is not just a tool or a technology. 
even though today a lot of what we have are the tools and technologies. Right. But the, the promise is there for something at a different order of complexity that's a unique intelligence, and that over time, that intelligence is projected to grow smarter in the ways we see it and in more types of intelligence, more ways of interacting with the world. And that over time, that could become conscious, that could become something like another species that just happens to run on silicon the way that you and I run on carbon. It's wild. Um, I think agency is a is a great phrase to sort of uh, you know get people thinking about um, the the future capabilities. Like if you're giving it, because humans essentially need to give it something, and if you're giving it agency or giving it goals, um, that's really yeah that that's something to think about for sure. Um, is and it I, yeah, safe go ahead. to say that? With AI, there's not perhaps one tipping point, but there's going to be a series of them. And we're at a very critical one right now. You know, when you look at history and, you know, and Alan Turing's work and, you know, the whole... The Turing test. The Turing test. You know, do I... Can I speak to a computer and convince that I'm talking to someone that's human? Is that essentially what we're talking about there? That seems to be a tipping point now that we have on the verge of reaching or in some cases have reached. Um, can you talk about what it took to get there and where we're at in terms of being able to use AI in place of humans for some interactions in the business community? Yes. So, yeah, Alan Turing formulated the question in 1950 where he said essentially computers at some point will be able to, a, a third-party tester will communicate with a computer and a person, but it will be blind to them. They won't know who is who and they won't be able to determine. And he thought it would happen by the year 2000. It has happened in the last year. And so a number of these different AI models have passed the Turing test or so it has been said. It's sort of not an official yeah. Turing body to, to say that. <laughs> And you get good headlines if you say that your model is past it. And, and it's worth just defining this term AI models that I keep using because we can think of artificial intelligence as this one thing, like Skynet, the one big AI. Well, actually what we have here is an entire field devoted to the creation of this technologically based intelligence that has been around for, actually it's been, it's been formulated since Descartes in the 16th century, that that's actually was proposed that AI could be a thing, that we could actually have simulated intelligence. Uh, and then, of course, Turing in 1950, and there's been tremendous work over decades. But we've reached a bit of a tipping point right now in very specific ways. So an AI model is a particular version of um, an AI software. So a large organization, and it's typically large because it takes a tremendous amount of work to train these models. They get a lot of computing power. And then they build a specific thing called a neural network on that, where they're lashing all of these computers together mm -hmm. and they're simulating the human brain. And then they train that model and they give it data over and over and they ask it to predict the next set of data. And the shift in recent years has been to doing this with LLMs, large language models. Mm -hmm. We're training these artificial intelligence um, entity, these um, models on language. And so we give it Tale of Two Cities, and we say, okay, right now we're gonna remove the last chapter and write the last chapter oh. and predict how Charles Dickens would have written it. Wow. In some cases, you might find that it actually writes a chapter that you might like even more than in the original. <laughs> I mean, that's part mm -hmm. of what's fascinating mm -hmm. about this. And so these large language models have been trained on language, which means that gives them culture, that gives them psychology, that gives them so much depth into the human psyche and so much depth into the access of reality. What's changed is that not that these large language models haven't been around. I mean, in fact, that's what changed Google Translate to make it far more effective back in, I think it was 2016 when they switched. 
uh, and it became overnight far, far more effective. And it's not that AIs haven't been around. I mean, a Google is the largest AI that we're all plugged into, and every right. time we search, we're training it. Right. And YouTube algorithms are very, very good at hooking me and showing me the next videos <laughs> that I like, and my feed is unlike anyone else's in the world, I'm sure. Mm. And and so these AIs have been around, but they've been the domain of large enterprises. They've been the domain of people who have huge amounts of data and huge amounts of money and in very tailored places. Well, OpenAI came along, and when they released ChatGPT in November of 22, they released a large language model to the public that was good enough that it was stunning. I mean, your first interaction with it was, was like, what is this thing? And they got it good enough that it passed a certain point. And then they really got it better with the release of GPT-4 in April of 2023, which is the underlying intelligence. So here we can differentiate the tool and the intelligence. ChatGPT is the tool, but underneath it is the intelligence. So that intelligence got so much smarter. You know, it went from not quite being able to pass the bar exam to now mm. 90th percentile passing the bar exam, passing yeah, attorney. Wild. <laughs> Google's MedPalm passes the medical exam and they're testing it now around the world to be able to bring medical care into impoverished countries around the world. I mean, you think about how intelligent it's gotten. Mm -hmm. Well, that's been the shot that's sort of been heard around the world where now all of these big tech companies are like, oh shoot, we need a really good AI model. And now all of, the, all of us, we business professionals and leaders, we have access to a large language model that took billions of dollars to generate, that's, that's cutting edge, that's incredibly intelligent. We have access to it. And what can we do with that? We have access to the tool of ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. We also have access to the back end to do our own stuff with the intelligence. And that's what's different. So what does that mean on this new horizon for how businesses can tap into this model? to advance their businesses. What are the opportunities? And then let's talk about later where are the, you know, weaknesses or, you know, what 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 do businesses need to be aware of of the limitations right now of that of that tools. Yeah, if you if you will, it might be easiest to speak in polls now and to sort of set two polls out mm -hmm, on the table sure, yeah. and to say, okay, here's the promise of what it can be and what right. we think we're really close to. And then on the other poll, here's why this is all hype. Because the reality <laughs> is no one is quite sure. No one has really completed this in the small and mid-sized business world to take the opportunity which is there, which is to take these big LLMs and then customize and train them into your business. Mm -hmm. No one has really completed that yet because it's so early. Here we're recording this in September of 2023. And so it seems like we are really close to a threshold point. And yet maybe we're not because all technology goes through a hype cycle where you have this early promise and you get this peak of inflated expectations and then you get the trough of disillusionment as it comes down <laughs> and then you get the slope of enlightenment where you yeah. see this is Gartner's hype technology hype cycle. And if you think about things like virtual reality, right? Like Mark Zuckerberg's convincing everyone we're all gonna be in headsets by 2023 and <laughs> we're not gonna have monitors and we're gonna, just gonna and it's like who, actually, nobody actually cares about that right now. We are very much in the trough when it comes to virtual reality. So where are we with AI? I don't know. I've been studying this for months. I've been able to talk to all kinds of cognitive scientists and AI researchers and give this tremendous time and attention. And the reality is no one knows, which is why we need to have these conversations and update our predictions all the time. So having said that, what I'll say the promise <laughs> is, and so just, and it can be helpful to just keep in mind, like there's hype. I mean, there's BS in whatever I'm gonna say. I just oh. don't know which pieces is BS, right? So that's just, that's the disclaimer. Yeah, right. The, right. the promise of this is that we're not just giving tools to make people faster, 
but we're actually providing IQ that can solve problems and communicate and that we can have it do that autonomously. Mm -hmm. So if you think about previous software for a customer service agent, it would bring the data that's relevant. You have like, oh, you know, Joe Smith calls in because he has a problem with his order and you pull up Joe Smith and there's, there's the information and the better the software system, the more information you have, the mm -hmm. faster that it runs. Well, with artificial intelligence, maybe the next iteration of that is that the AI is listening to the phone call and then it's predicting what information that customer service agent needs and mm -hmm. says, here's all the information about the order. Here's a script that might be helpful. Oh, I just noticed that Joe's um, blood pressure seemed to start to rise. I noticed oh. the change in his tone. Here are some tactics that you can use and here's a wise way to interact with Joe in this. Mm -hmm. And then here's the offer that you can give. And, like, and it's providing all of that to the customer service agent. Now, what has that done? Well, that's lowered the starting requirement for the customer service agent. Mm -hmm. That's allowed the customer service agent to be more efficient. And so the first phase of this, quality's going up, efficiencies are going up, and you can actually hire more junior staff into these roles. But then what happens when the AI model keeps learning and it keeps learning and learning, and these models are already good enough that you can talk in real language to them in real time. And so you can hook up very natural language to these models and you can communicate in that. And so at what point does the model become so good as it's wrapping around that customer service agent that all of a sudden the customer service agent isn't there? And you might think, oh, I don't wanna interact with an AI model. Yeah, but what if that AI model is talking to you in the voice of Matthew McConaughey, is amusing you and giving you life <laughs> advice along the way, doesn't make a mistake, there's no hold times, it's right. incredibly efficient, and your costs are going down because the business is saving money on it. Mm. What do we do then? And we might say, well, we don't wanna lay off people, we wanna support their jobs and all of that. Sure, but that doesn't tend to be how capitalism works. Once somebody takes the savings, mm. that lowers the price, uh, we already, like most of us would like to have all of our clothes made in sustainable ways in the environment with a really good fair trade. And yet we're buying clothes where we need to buy Fast clothes. Fast fashion is still going strong. It's still going strong. So and that leads into another interesting point of where some businesses and creatives are running into a lot of concern with the use of AI. Um, so it's not just, I mean, there's the the whole, is my job in danger? Mm -hmm. If I am someone that writes copy for websites and now I can, people can turn to chat GPT and do that for me even much cheaper. You know, I need to change my business model. But there's others that are saying, hey, I have my creative work out there in the universe and these AIs are picking up on it and learning from it and using my intellectual property and putting out and repackaging it in other ways. And where's the limit of that? So for some businesses, this is going to be a boon. For others, this is a real threat. Um, so where, you know, what can businesses do or what should they be aware of um, if that might be the case of where uh, their commerce and AI collide? You know, I was talking to a professor of AI at the University of Santa Cruz the other day, and he's an AI researcher. And the, the metaphor that we came up with for what's coming is a tidal wave. That a tidal wave is coming in terms of the power of these AI models, and that it's very unlikely that regulation or lawsuits or something is going to slow them down, especially because these works are derivative and so they're being trained. And like I'm trained in a class based on the works of these same artists, and then I'm going, how, how different is it now? We could put brakes on it temporarily, but the whole world is not gonna put brakes on this. And so there is a tidal wave that's coming. The question is, how do we as professionals and business leaders ride that wave? 
life and ride it as long as possible and as far as possible and not be crashed over by it, which is why awareness of what's happening, playing with these tools, gaining understanding, diving into this now is one of the biggest recommendations that I give to anyone I talk to. If you want safety in your career, become an expert in AI in your particular niche. If you want safety in your business, become the leader, become the top 1% in your field. Don't wait and say, you know, a lot of businesses that we work with at Mainstay don't like to be on the cutting edge because they're like, that's the bleeding edge. I want to wait for the early adopters and mm. I'll be in the top quartile, right? That top 25% that I'm happy. With AI, that might not be enough. You might need to be in that top decile or that top 1% where you're actually saying, wait, I want to play with this, learn from this, use this, and then make the best predictions I can for my particular industry because it will change it will change different industries and different jobs in different in different ways. So it's already creating disruption now for certain low-level creative tasks, certain low-level white-collar prof- white professional Well, tasks. and I, re- I remember from a uh, the webinar you did somewhat recently um, that you, I believe, asked it to troubleshoot a tech issue. Yes. And it did. Uh, you know, and this was chat G- GPT-4, and it, you know, it, it gives you this sort of, you know, instructions and text and all that to, to fix the problem. And, and that's... That's just one of those examples. It's not necessarily writing copy or a document or, you know, a cover letter or this or that. Uh, It is legitimately, you know, providing actual solutions to technical problems um, through this particular tool. So let's put it real close to home. At Mainstay, we solve a lot of IT issues and we do a lot of IT engineering. And AI already with the tools that are out today, I mean, my favorite prompt is... um, if you do it on GPT-4, which for those who aren't aware, you have to pay 20 bucks a month to get mm-hmm. the best intelligence, which is GPT-4 under ChatGPT. And uh, my favorite prompt is to assume the role of a help desk technician, ask me questions to troubleshoot my issue, and do it in the voice of Ron Burgundy from Anchorman. <laughs> and there's no delay. It's amusing. The jokes are actually pretty decent. And it does a good job at basic level troubleshooting. And it's immediate. Now, that will that solves a certain level of problems already for certain kind of person today. But the real question that we wrestle with a lot at Mainstay is how does this change things over the next five and 10 years? How does this actually become integrated into the business? Because these large AI models today are a bit like having an intern. And it's like, oh, great, we've got... Pamela in the corner, who's a new intern today, everybody use Pamela for something. <laughs> it's like, well, if you've ever tried that, I tried that in the early years. It would be like, yeah. you know, the interns. I'm like, yeah, great, we have an intern. Like, yeah, somebody yeah, use yeah. Mike. And, <laughs> and no, what do you do? You do coffee runs. Maybe you think, right. like, can you create a PowerPoint? And then it's not that good, and you end up redoing it anyway. Right. These AI models, they don't know you. They don't know your business. They aren't tailored to you. And so they're like an intern on day one. But the real change that's coming is all the work being done by software companies to integrate that and to actually train on your industry, on Mm. your processes. And so at Mainstay, we're saying, how do we do that? How do we embrace this? How do we use this as much as possible? And the closer we are to it, the better predictions we can make about where this is going to go and the more time we have, which allows us to pilot this in a way that's good for people in a way that cares for jobs, in a way that cares for our clients, the more time we have, the more agency we'll have in this. My fear is that the business professionals and leaders who wait will have the least amount of agency and the market will be set and they will have the least amount of reaction time and will have to react to this massive force that showed up on their door as opposed to those who have seen it coming. So we're... (laughs) We've delved in a little bit, and Lord knows, I wish we had hours to to continue yes. on. Um, but let's talk about for a moment um, some of the things, at least at this point, that are um, most concerning around AI. And I remember again you you talking in a uh, maybe your video or or the webinar about um, 
the some world powers, as it were, uh, that are very, very interested in it. Um, and on the other side of that is the uh, the want by, say, uh, you know, those in, in Congress and whatnot to look at limitations to that. Um, but also, and as, as they often are, the military is at, you know, has a lot of technology before anyone else does uh, and are utilizing that. And so there's, uh, there's benefit to maybe not putting the brakes on certain things, but talk about those those threats or concerns, I guess, um, that you see at this point, and then as it sort of relates to the um, the larger world issue. Yeah, so we're in a situation where billions of dollars are flowing into the development of an intelligence that we already don't understand. We already don't exactly know why this works the way it works and how it works. Now, I'm going to be very clear, no AI model right now is conscious or anything close to it. Mm -hmm. They don't even have a true intelligence because they don't seem to understand the problem that they're solving. They're just predicting what you and I want to hear. They're mm -hmm. very good prediction machines. We have these prediction machines. However, the billions of dollars is causing tremendous technical investment and scientific investment into breakthroughs in intelligence that is anticipated to increase this on orders of magnitude. So if you think about early super, um, semiconductors in the early days of Intel, it's like, well, what power do you have? Yeah, but then you have Moore's law take on, which doubles this thing in, in potency and having it in size every two years. And that's continuing, continuing, and continuing. And you say, whoa, Moore's law has continued. And all of a sudden that exponential growth is tremendous. Wow. We're, create, we're starting on that same kind of curve where it will be some kind of dollars to IQ relationship that's market driven. Mm. And so it's growing very rapidly. It's known to world leaders uh, how important this is. It's known to the military. It's known to the adult content industry who wants to custom tailor even more addictive content regardless of the consequences. And the overall question of how can all of this align to what's actually good for humanity is called the AI alignment problem. Now, what you may hear is the AI alignment problem is that this thing will wake up learn how to become more intelligent. One of these models will wake up, know how to become even more intelligent, will be so much smarter than you or I, that then we just hope that it likes us and that we're relevant to it. Because oh, Lord. like, hey, you and I killed a lot of bugs driving over here. We didn't mean to, they're just not relevant to our goals. And so creating an entity whose goals are not necessarily our goals, it, that wasn't good for the Neanderthals, right? Like that wasn't good for a lot of other species that have come along the way through evolution that are now living with the top most intelligent species on the earth right now. And so it's not that necessarily we need a Skynet situation. It's just humans might become irrelevant, but there's nested problems. There's actually six AI alignment problems, but really what they come into is they're accelerating all these dynamics that aren't necessarily good for society, accelerating our environmental usage, accelerating consumption, accelerating our own use of technology in ways that may not be good for us, for our beings. Like, like is custom tailored porn really good for the world? Like, I don't think so. I don't think that's the kind of thing that's going to be helpful to the next generation. Right, right. And so the hope is that we can have enough conversations that we can intentionally as a society say, we want to vote with our dollars. We want to vote with our attention towards AI models that move us towards what's true and good and beautiful and not have done what social media did because we've screwed this up as a society with social media. Social media did not have to do the things it does, mm. but the work of Dr. Brian Primack and others has shown any engagement with social media 
increases your risk of anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. Any increase, and the more you, you, you increase that time, the greater increase in anxiety and the risk of depression with social media. It didn't have to be that way. And that is one of the most powerful AI models to date is running social media. So how do we together collectively orient this towards what's actually good for us, not just what makes money, not just what comforts us. That's the question, the dialogue we need to be having. And certainly regulators need to be involved in that. I am one that thinks that the level of complexity in artfully designing regulation that would actually work compared to the level of competence that we see in our bureaucratic institutions that there's a mismatch. Right, right. When we see the questions they ask when they're trying to figure out social media yeah. uh, and, and with those social media leaders and how to regulate that industry, yes, it's been rather scary. Yeah. But I mean, it does beg the question as to when is the time to regulate and how do you go about regulating? Because there's no putting that genie back in its bottle when it comes to social media. Yes, we are very much aware now more than we were because of studies on the negative impacts it has. And we even see where some high-level executives in the social media world have do not allow their kids on social mm -hmm. media for those very yes. reasons. Uh, and yet it's not going away. Uh, and regulations haven't been able to keep up with it. And, and, and there's an even question of how do you effectively regulate that? Mm -hmm. um, the fact is that, you know, we are addicted to our phones. We are scrolling through, even though we are, many of us are very well educated on what it's doing to us. Just our own human nature works against us. Now we're up against something that, yeah, might seem far into the future, but I mean, so many things for us seemed far in the future when we're growing mm -hmm. up that are now just general realities. How do we fight against our human nature? Yes, we don't want to do things that are going to hurt us, but if it's going to make me money, mm -hmm. money often wor right. works out in that equation. And there's a lot of incentivizing that goes on in our economy to go, yeah, we know it's bad for us, but boy, there's a bucket load of money over there and we're going to go for it. So at what point do you find balance in that regulation versus commerce? So I, I love the question. Let me answer it as succinctly as I can. And let me first set the stage that, yes, this is in the future, but we're talking about one to five years here. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about 20 to 50 for a lot of this. Now, right. now, AI is a conscious entity. Sure, 10 plus is the best projections from cognitive scientists that I've heard. But we're going to see significant, you know, 20% of industry significantly disrupted and changed in the next five years. I hold to those predictions at this point. Now, those predictions need to be updated all the time because we're learning more about this constantly. And so maybe it's sooner, maybe it's further. But as of right now, in September of 2023, those predictions, I think, are really right, that about 20% of jobs and in, in industry will be significantly disrupted at 50% or more within the next five years. So this is a very pressing question. I think that it's interesting to step back and look at the industrial revolution. So it occurred over a couple of generations, but we moved from an agrarian society to an industrial society over the course of a generation or two. And that was a tremendous change. In the beginning, it caused a lot of suffering. I mean, this is where you have the slums. This is where you have the labor abuses. This is the world that Charles Dickens is writing into. This is a world that, that ended up having a lot of abuses because of capitalism that wasn't tailored to what was actually good for people. It was mm. just given free reign. And the response to that was a concerted effort 
of nonprofits, of the Catholic social workers, of government, of social awareness, of authors and artists raising attention and saying, is this how we want to live? Are we proud of this society where we have this mega millionaire over here and then these people who are living in slums who work in their factories? Is this what we want? And it created a whole cultural change that was across many different domains. And I think that's ultimately what will be needed here. What concerns me is that the, the speed of which that's needed mm -hmm. is very, very rapid, most likely. And there's a certain amount of change that every organization, every institution can absorb and that we can absorb societally. And just as biological creatures, there's a certain amount of change that we can absorb healthily. Can we match the change to the healthy change to the pace of change of AI? That's what has a lot of the researchers worried. In fact, you know, there are prominent voices like Eliezer Yakowski who thinks we've already missed the window, that we are already too late and that the dynamics are unstoppable. And he was asked on a recent podcast, what action item would you give? And he said, essentially, I don't know, but I think at the end, it's important to be honest with each other with tears in his eyes, because he thinks that we are already at the point where AI is going to destroy civilization as we know it. I don't believe, I, there are a lot in the industry who think that he is a bit extreme. And I have tremendous confidence in people's ability to adapt when they see something clearly. Look at COVID. None of us really predicted that accurately. We did not have a frame that helped us understand what was gonna happen with COVID-19. Then once it happened, it was like, are we all gonna go bankrupt? Is society gonna collapse? And we pulled together and people became, pulled out heroic depths out of their beings. And we adapted as government and as society and nonprofits, and we pulled through it as a species. And yeah, there's consequences and there's good things. And we're all still trying to figure out the impact from that. But we can, and that's why I think we need to orient towards not using AI for just comfort or for money or for pleasure, but actually orient towards how does this help us to live the ultimate of humanity? How does this help us to be wise, to be enlightened, to be more compassionate? How do we, this is a call for all of us to wake up a little bit mm -hmm. and say, hang on, do we wanna just live the way we've been living? Is the way we're using technology and social media unthinkingly actually good for us? Are we gonna to get to our deathbeds and look back and say like, oh, that technology, that really helped me live a more beautiful life and pack my funeral full of loving people in tears <laughs> who loved me that I loved. Is that, or are we gonna say like, man, I wasted so much time on freaking Instagram. <laughs> right. Let's not do that with AI. Let's orient <laughs> towards what's wise and then let's train our AI mm -hmm. models that way. Mm -hmm. But like so much in our society and in the world, what we're facing today, it feels very overwhelming, right? You know, that there's this big, huge, potentially catastrophic issue that's going there. And what do I as an individual or a business can do about it? Can we, I, I want to kind of take that conversation down a little bit and, and maybe explore in two different ways. So as businesses are having more access to AI and they're exploring about how, what that means for their business, both as opportunities and threats and so forth. One, the practicality. What do businesses need to know to practically start exploring the use of AI and do it in a way where they don't make the headlines like the lawyer who used it to put a brief together, put it in front of a judge, and then found out all his casework that the AI Oops. pulled together was fake. You know, yes. like how do you go about making sure that you're approaching AI in a responsible way for your business and that's going to be actually useful? And then let's talk about as a business, as you're doing that, what are the ethical guidelines as a business you should be thinking about so that your business is not, in fact, pushing society down the wrong path, but is part it. of that pulling it towards I the enlightenment? It. Yes, I love it. Okay, so practical. I have four recommendations. One is to engage the business culture healthily 
in what is available today and to get people using these tools versed in this. Share this podcast, share resources with your team and with peers and actually begin to play and wrestle with what impact could these have today? And in some places, like in a marketing department, there's a lot of impact that can be had. In others, like a logistics department, well, very little today because ChatGPT is really not gonna be able to solve your logistics challenge. And so use the tools, look at how could this transform and start to create a AI positive culture that is innovating, that's using this. We recommend to our clients that they pull cross-functional teams together, mm -hmm. like use people from different organ different spots in the organization who are all a little bit innovative, and then equip them with some time and some resources and say, all right, we're gonna get together once a month, really simply, and we're gonna have a bunch of ideas and say, where can we test what's currently available with AI in our business? And who has stories they can bring? Let's share podcasts, let's share information. And you create a bit of a culture that orients towards using this positively and intentionally, and you start that immediately. And there are some businesses, like I said, that will have a significant impact now, and a lot will be like, ah, oh, this is kind of interesting and novelty, but keep going because that's gonna change and you want the culture positive. And when, I, when we do that, it's also important to have the message for the organization of why we're doing this, and that we're doing this early so that we can have control, so we can do this in a way that helps jobs and doesn't hurt, and that we have some agency in this, and that we all want to embrace this. We don't control this environment, so we want to react quickly, positively, and so that we can all do this in the way that gives us the most power and agency, and we're gonna make the best and wisest decisions for our team that we possibly can, and let's do this together, so people aren't freaked out and afraid of their jobs or what's happening. So that's recommendation one. The second recommendation is to get close to software leaders in the industry. So the real magic is going to happen is all of the little niche software players who have designed software specifically for every niche of nonprofit and business and local government, when they start to integrate the power and intelligence mm. of these models into their software, that's where the real power is gonna come in. And all of a sudden your logistics software is AI enabled and it's saying, hey, here's how I would solve this problem. Is this how you'd solve it? And you're just reviewing them and saying, yes, yes, yes. Oh no, not on that one, but it's learning when you give it a thumbs down. Mm -hmm. That's when this is gonna start to change and you're gonna start to see businesses really accelerate away from the pack if they're using AI enabled software versus others who don't. And so get close to whoever is leading in your industry. The best software, go to the conferences, find peers, find anyone who's doing that. That's the thing that I would say. Mm. And then dive into this enough that you can sense when things change. So the third recommendation is to have a bit of productive paranoia. This is a Jim Collins term from good to great, productive paranoia, where he quotes Bill Gates, who famously used to write a letter to all his staff of, here are all the ways that Microsoft could go bankrupt. And one time it, it crashed the stock for a while because it leaked to the press and they were like, oh no. And he's like, no, no, I do this, I do this every year. Like it's a good exercise. Engage in productive paranoia. How could this disrupt you? Don't be the taxi company, right? Before Uber. Like mm. how is this going to create new, imagination for possibilities that you and I can't even fathom yet. The same way that the iPhone and the App Store and that world created a whole massive industry and all of these possibilities that you and I, we didn't have an imagination for back in 04 when this stuff came out, or 07, excuse me, with the iPhone. And so how do you stay close enough to have that yeah. imagination and yeah. engage in productive paranoia? And then fourthly is just update your predictions regularly. Like, mm. okay, don't get anchored into, oh, it's settled, this is our next five years. Yeah. It's like, no, constantly be updating and calibrating how powerful is this. Those four things I think will serve the vast majority of business leaders and professionals very well. 
That's awesome. Um, so here's here's something. Um, you are a tech CEO. You're a founder. Um, you have access to maybe different people in the industry, thought leaders, things like that. I am, uh, I'm me. I'm a you know regular old business owner, as it were. Um, what would you recommend for resources uh, for folks to keep an eye on or to continue learning where um, that are obviously accessible to to everyone? What would you recommend? It's a good question, and it's a, such a nascent field with so much disruption that actually part of the imperative I feel in sharing some of what I've learned is because on the nonprofit side, I volunteer with a cognitive scientist named Dr. John Verveke, who's one of the world's leading cognitive scientists who's at the forefront of this. And I've gotten to do some work with him and be a part of some of his um, his podcasts and his arguments on this, that it's the understanding of intelligence and technology and business. It's kind of all of those that we have to begin to build a vocabulary for. And so it's difficult. What I would say is do a few things. Um, one is subscribe. Look for resources that are tailored to the industry. Look for a LinkedIn thought mm, leader nice. that's in your industry. Look for a newsletter. Look for a company that's sharing that's specific to the industry, the software. That's the best thing to do. And then regularly go on a place like YouTube and just look at like the latest AI tools and get demos of the, you know, the people who are like, this will blow your mind. <laughs> just watch those every month or so and see what they are. Um, play with them directly, play with ChatGPT, play with MidJourney, play with some of these tools. And then, you know, there's great newsletters like Ben's Bytes is a good one. It's a daily snapshot of what's happening in the AI world. It sort of gives you a sense of the scope of investments and what's happening. And then there are lots and lots of podcasts. Um, I love long form podcasts. So um, one of my favorites is a guy named Lex Friedman, who's an MIT researcher, and he'll do long form podcasts with Sam Altman, the founder of OpenAI. Mm. He'll do you know three hour interviews with the people who think that the world's going to end because of this. And wow. engaging in some of that, I think it's worth it. And when I've recommended and people have actually listened to those conversations, they're always glad they did. Nice. So, how do you go about though being uh, if AI and tech is not your expertise? Being a discerning consumer of information, because we are at a point in our society where there's so much misinformation that's out there, and perhaps even talk about the role AI can play in that, um, how do you go about really making sure you are consuming good information as opposed to conspiracy theorist? Yeah, what a question we can talk about on all <laughs> kinds of domains, yes. right? Uh, I think that the, the first thing that comes to mind as you say that is to pay attention to your emotional state when you are looking for information and when mm. you're consuming information. And so what we, what we live in is a society where people no longer pay for the news through a subscription. They pay for the news with their attention. And so in an attention economy, Anyone who can get hooks into your attention and pull them, they win. And so there's this thing called limbic hijacking. Your limbic system is your emotional system, mm -hmm. right? It causes all the chemicals to flood in your body. And if they can hijack your limbic system, then you're in. And if you're getting limbically hijacked, just cultivate awareness of that. And that's true across any news that we consume. And then if we're also just think it's irrelevant, well, that's probably not the right stance. It's somewhere in between where we're curious, we're grounded, we're open, and we're interested. And we're looking for people who are leading us more in that frame and not trying to lead us into limbic hijacking or lead us down <laughs> into some little wormhole of their mm -hmm. own making, but actually is seeking to inform and we'll find those voices. And then I think there's this calibration of awareness and control. like. 
I don't read the news every day because I can't control it. Like, I don't want to pay attention to the political cycles because I have very little impact. When it's time to vote, all right, who are my options? And let me dive in. But otherwise, I my blood pressure's up. I'm stressed. I'm uncertain. And AI follows that same kind of thing. A lot of the doomsday stuff, most of us don't need to worry about that. What we can do is worry about, all right, what's relevant for my business? Mm-hmm. Can I be consuming a certain amount of information on this regularly and be testing right. and trying right. and look for trusted voices and have a, a bit of a multiplicity of voices? That's the best I can do, Matt. I'm sorry I don't have a better answer. But... <laughs> Just listen to us, right? The there three, of, oh, yeah. three of us. There's That's this podcast. Then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, as always, you are a wealth of information. You're a real, I believe, a thought leader on this. And, and we're so happy to and lucky to have you right here in New Hampshire that we could get you to you know come back, number one, and uh, also so that you are really um, following this and, and at the leading edge and, and lending your intelligence and, and your voice to this particular topic. It's amazing. And thank you. Um, it's been a great time. And if we had another two hours, we would do it. But we don't. Well, thank you, Nathan. <laughs> this is a real honor. And if I can just say, of, as, of course, in sort of a quick synopsis, you know, there is a tremendous excitement by this. This technology has the promise of actually solving tremendous problems in the world. Like we're already, Google is already testing bringing doctors in your smartphone to the jungles of the world. I mean, imagine the power of that. And it also has the promise of causing us to destroy our species to an even faster degree than we already are. And we have to hold both of those realities somehow. And I Mm -hmm. think that where I have the greatest hope in AI is that this is a bit of a wake up of like, oh, we can't just thoughtlessly consume technology and Mm -hmm. thoughtlessly pursue capitalism in the ways that we do. We need to actually orient towards like, what's a good life? What are we doing this for? And this is just scary enough and with enough promise that I think enough of us having these conversations can help all of us to orient towards what's really good for humanity, for ourselves and for others and say, how do we use AI in service of that? And that is what fills me with a lot of hope and optimism. I love it. We'll leave it there. Ryan Barton is CEO of Mainstay Technologies, among other things. Thank you so much once again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group. 